are Seraphim. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Generation Space, the podcast by Seraphim. Today we'll be focusing on how to build a successful space company, and our guest has an interesting spin on this. Today I'm meeting with Ray Goffer, who is co-founder and chief strategy officer of Tomorrow.io, and he's responsible for their space program. Tomorrow.io is a company that didn't initially intend to build a space business, but is now about to launch one of the most advanced weather satellite constellations in existence. Hi, Ray. Hell yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. I'm also thrilled to be joined by two Seraphim investment experts, Seraphim Space CEO Mark Boggett, who you've met before, and Andre Ronser. Andre is principal here at Seraphim Space, and Andre's previously worked at Virgin Group supporting their space investments. He was instrumental in managing Virgin's investments into Virgin Galactic, Virgin Orbit, and OneWeb three space businesses that all scaled at billion-dollar enterprise values. These are all hardware-centric businesses. Hi, Andre. Thank you, Leo. It's a real pleasure being here on our podcast. In fact, my first podcast ever. Very much looking forward to this episode and especially to learning more from Ray and his journey at Tomorrow.io. Brilliant. And hi, Mark. Thanks for joining me again. Hi, there. Hi, Great to be here. Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit about why we asked Ray to join us today? Yeah, we picked Tomorrow.io because they're a bit unusual. They're a software company that's actually transitioning into a hardware company. And for us, they're the poster child example of a company that's already addressed the, the hard challenge of deep integration into specific verticals. So in their case, weather-sensitive domains like airlines. They've enabled their customers to be able to quickly use the data insights that they're generating as part of their operational decision-making. They're now moving into the space market to address a data set that they simply can't find elsewhere. So if they're successful, this will enable them to sustainably differentiate their business and, of course, provide a much better service to their customers. Well, that's right, Mark. You know, looking at our own portfolio at Seraphim, many of our investments and the previous ones I work with are hardware companies. And they typically start out by building satellite constellations to generate data about the planet. But that's really the first step. There's much more that's needed. To provide meaningful insights to their customers, they typically need to develop AI and machine learning capabilities to analyze the data, to provide insights to their customers. And then they need to develop or have software capabilities to develop platforms to nicely package those insights up that they're actionable for their customers. And so that's the difference, I guess, to Mod.io is turning this on its head. When we look at our own portfolio, we've invested in about eight constellations and they typically do it the regular way. Brilliant. Thanks both. Ray, let's go straight to you. Can you briefly introduce us to Tomorrow.io? What's the company solving that others just haven't managed to? Sure. So Tomorrow.io is a weather intelligence platform and that means that we help governments, businesses and our organizations to essentially manage their day-to-day business uh, with regards to weather. The both weather and climate challenges that impact your day-to-day operation and long-term planning. And we do that by really building a fully vertically integrated platform. And I'm actually going to present it from the end to the beginning. So the end of it is a software as a service tool that is designed around an operator. And an operator can be anybody from a dispatcher in an airline to an emergency management worker in a government agency all the way to a farmer in Africa. They have a job to do and that job is impacted by weather. That's the product. And our software is extremely robust and enables all of these different types of individuals and jobs 
to adjust and really optimize their operations with respect to uh, weather. That's the first piece. Behind it, you need to have the best forecast, right? You can't just tell people what to do in the weather if the weather itself isn't good. And to get the forecast, you need to do two things. One is you need to have observations. So observations basically tell us the current state of the atmosphere and the oceans. And then you need to have the forecasting models, which take those initial inputs and then provide an output that tell us what's going to happen, you know, in an hour, in a day, in a week. And so we have those two components, the models and the observations, as two completely separate organizations within the company alongside a product. So we have product behind its models and behind it the observations. The space program, which we will talk about more today, is the first piece, essentially. It's part of the observations that we're fitting into our product to make it better, to give better accuracy and better coverage all around the globe. And so that's who we are in a nutshell. We serve hundreds of enterprise customers and government customers today all across the globe. We do not have a single satellite on orbit, just to be clear on that. We started as a software company. And a couple of years ago, we realized that if we want to keep expanding and scaling and solving the problem all the way down to the root, we need to go to space. And that's sort of what initiated our space program. Putting that another way, Ray, you're providing accurate hyper-local weather. What's going to happen in the next hour? What's going to happen in the next two hours, the next three hours, so that it can be used by businesses operationally in real time? Is that right? We do more than just the next few hours. We go days and weeks out. But I think the core of what you said is right. We provide an accurate, a more accurate forecast. But as importantly, we provide the interpretation of that forecast to businesses. Not just telling you, here's the weather, figure the rest out, but rather, here's the weather and here is what you, the individual, should do about it in, in the context of your operation. How did Tomorrow I.O. come about? When did you see the need for a company like Tomorrow I.O.? And I believe this might go back to when you were in the Israeli Air Force. I heard you were flying jets. If you'd like to tell people a bit about that. That's exactly right. So that's when we saw the need. Both myself and my other two co-founders, Shimon and Itai, we all served for many years in the IDF, flying jets, helicopters, being the special forces. And when you do that, you're very much in friction with weather every day. And our experience was that despite a lot of really good efforts and technology, in this case by the Israeli Air Force, that was spent on you know creating a better forecast, at the end of the day, that was not really useful for us in the cockpit or in the management seat because it is very generic and it is not really translated to your specific needs. And so Yes, there is the accuracy component where, you know, you sometimes get the wrong forecast, but there is also how do I propagate this really complex data set that is weather to thousands of different of individuals, each having to make their own decisions with different, find different platforms with different payloads in different geographies. That is hard. And unfortunately, both myself and, and my, my co-founders, we all have friends we, we lost to weather-related accidents because of that gap. And so... This is really what got us to start the company. And very quickly after we, we got into this, we realized that this pro- problem that we experienced you know, in the military really exists at a huge scale globally for any type of weather-impacted operation. Amazing to have that real-life experience. Um, we have you here on a space podcast, but I think Mark touched on it earlier. Tomorrow, I didn't start out as a space company. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey from an enterprise SaaS business before you decided to go into space and the challenges you faced during that time? So, you know, we, I think one of the things that really separate us from our industry and I guess also the space domain is we're not coming from 
whether we're not meteorologists, nor are we space, you know, aerospace engineers. We're a bunch of people who were really impacted by weather. And so our entire mindset is solving backwards from a problem, right? And the problem, again, is, is accuracy, is coverage, and is usability of this weather information. And so along the journey, we said, okay, if we want to give our users, our customers, better answers, what do we need to do to enable that? Okay, so we need a better product that can take this weather information and translate it to decisions at scale. To feed that product, we need to have better forecast model. And those are proprietary models that are different than the ones that are provided by the national centers, say in the US or Europe. Okay, great. Okay, to make those models better, we have dramatic observation gap. Remember, those models are only as good as the data you feed them with, right? And if you don't have observations, then it's garbage in, garbage out. We're only guessing. And so we looked at many different ways to solve those big observation gaps with all kinds of other technologies, IoT and wireless signals and, and all sorts of things. And at some point, we came to a conclusion that the biggest of all of these gaps, there is not a single one, there is many different ones, but the biggest one by far is coverage of radars. Essentially, radars are the ones that the instruments that, that measure the atmosphere, three-dimensional structure and give us the cloud structure, precipitation, you know, rain, snow. If you open the TV and you look at the weather person, that's what they're showing you is the radar, right? Those radars today only exist or only cover about 5% of the globe. So if I showed you a map, you'll see continental U.S., parts of Europe, Japan, coastal Australia, and then a really bunch of isolated points here and there. But the vast majority of the global population, over 5 billion people today, live outside the coverage of radar systems. Add to that the fact that most of the high-impact weather events, such as tropical cyclones, hurricanes, typhoons, etc., actually start over the oceans and spend most of their life cycle over the ocean until they hit land, and those areas are never going to be covered with ground-based systems. And you suddenly realize, oh, we have this gigantic gap here and we can solve it from space. So that's kind of how we started. I believe it was back in 2021 when you decided to take Tomorrow IO to space by launching your own weather satellite constellation. This is a big change from being a pure play software business to one operating now hardware in space. What was the key thing that made you go for it? Here's a huge gap that if solved would create both huge financial and societal impact. And we understand that gap down to its core because that's our business and that's what we've been doing for many years at that point. All those different problems we hear about, if you peel the, the onion, they go back to this, this core problem of observation. So we really see a big gap. Now the question is, can it be solved from space, right? Because theoretically, yes, if I have radars in orbit, I'll cover the entire globe, move from 5% to 100%. But if it was that easy, why wasn't it already done, right? And so we started this journey, and that was actually back in 2019, of really educating ourselves on this problem and saying, well, you know, talking with really the godfathers specifically of, of radars, weather radars from space at JPL, but obviously kind of really wrapping our head around the problems. And so we went to JPL and said, hey, you guys have also demonstrated that you can miniaturize a certain piece of it into a CubeSat. There was a program called RainCube. And we want to work with you on scaling that to global coverage, high revisit rate, reasonable price point. And they said, great, come in 2040. <laughs> and at first, that was very frustrating because I said, well, we can't do it. But then we started saying, well, you know, let's talk with some other people and see if, you know, maybe there's another way. And we quickly realized that there definitely is another way. And there is a very different, I'd say, 
development approach between private sector and startups versus the establishment with, with huge amount of respect, I say that, right? And then we started the journey of kind of going through the whole trade space and realizing all the different things we need to solve if we were to ever achieve what I just described, new types of antenna and radars and all sorts of different things. Without getting into too many details, it was in 2021 where we said, okay, we, we've got it. We have a viable path. We've sort of been through the trade enough to know that this is possible. We haven't solved everything yet. There is there is some design obviously left, but it was it was solid enough to go to the board and say, hey guys, here's a massive problem and we think we have a solution for it. Thank you, Ray. So how have your challenges changed now that, that now you are a space company? The first couple of years was really just wrapping. We're not coming from this space, right? From this world of, of hardware, definitely not hardware in space. Yes, we have aerospace background. We flew jets. We're in the Air Force, so we know some of, of the concepts. But it's definitely, as a company, it's a massive DNA shift. And you kind of need to change the DNA of an organism after it was already born. So that was quite a ride, I would say, because it really is. And I, in retrospect, we really underestimated or trivialize the complexity of, you know, even just your backbone financial system and ERP and all sorts of things you don't th- think of when we say, well, let's go build satellites, right? But I think we're at a point now where we really evolved from software DNA to a hybrid DNA, and we have tremendous knowledge inside. It really involved bringing on board remarkable talent and have them attract more remarkable talent, and we have a really unique team working on this program. Our challenges right now are, I'd say, purely on execution, right? And space is hard. We have three different classes of satellites. We have a radar pathfinder, we have a radar, a scanning radar, and we have a sounder. So there are three different satellites, three different programs, doing all of this with a very small team. And none of these satellites is simple. They're all uh, significantly more complex than sort of your average, you know, imaging or SAR satellites. And so we're new to space. We're building three different satellites in parallel. They're all our very complex satellite program. But I think overall, you know, so far we're pretty much on track to the month with the plan we presented two and a half years ago. Fantastic. Andre, are these similar challenges that you see with other companies? Look, I mean, I spent uh, eight years at Virgin and worked with three very large hardware-centric businesses doing small sets, doing small set launch and building rocket power space plane to fly tourists. I guess the big difference there is all these businesses have been started by engineers who knew what it was about, who were thriving in the challenge to get this thing done. And I think it's a very different mindset to to building a company, which is pretty much from an engineering perspective. And I think the beauty about tomorrow.io to just contrast it is it very much started out as Ray was saying with a customer problem and this is what I love about it. Tomorrow IO is a fantastic example of space data being used to address climate issues. What's the climate and sustainability market opportunities that you see for the business, Ray? When we think about climate change, you know, we, we talk a lot about mitigation, right, which is getting to net zero, tremendously important. We, we got to do that. But the other side of it is adaptation, right? It's dealing with the fact that Climate has already changed. Climate change is sort of past, present, and the future. And we need to adapt to this new climate, even if we get to net zero on time, which is very much at question still. 
we have decades, if not centuries, of very different climate ahead of us, meaning more intense storms, more frequent storms, harder to predict, very different weather patterns in different geographies than what we've been used to for, for centuries. And so the challenge we're helping with is getting humanity up to speed really quickly with being able to adapt to it. So I, I spoke before about, you know, only 5% of the globe being covered with radars. Let me try to unpack what that means. That means that for 5 billion people today, who, by the way, live in areas where weather is more volatile because tropics tend to have more dynamic weather. They live in countries where uh, agriculture plays a much bigger role of the economy. They have less physical protection, less financial protection, and so on and so forth. So they're much more sensitive to climate change, but on the flip side, are least equipped to deal with it today. So if there's a flood, you know, here in the U.S. or in the U.K., you're, you're getting this SMS alert to your phone coming from the National Weather Service, and it's fairly accurate because we have good radar, so we know when rain falls, and then we know it's going to flood. That service does not exist in Brazil or in India or in Nigeria or in dozens of other countries where floods are more common, right? And billions of people are impacted by that. That is something we're going to radically change. We're going to enable a truly global early warning system for floods and other disasters. I'll give you another example. We just had Hurricane Ian. We spoke a lot about the challenges of forecasting the trajectory and getting to understand exactly where it's going to hit and the intensity, whether it's going to be a Category 4 or Category 5 or Category 1. And the, the preparations on the ground are dramatically different between those two scenarios, right? Like if it's a Category 1, we sort of lay down and it, and it moves away. If it's a Category 5, we need to evacuate a whole city. We still have really hard time giving good forecasts for tropical cyclones. There are about 100 tropical cyclones globally today between the Pacific and Atlantic Ocean, and they're only going to be more intense and going further up north and south because of, of climate change. We're going to be able to scan each and every one of these storms, not just the one hitting the U.S., but also the ones hitting the Philippines and, and India and Japan, each and every one of these storms. From its genesis, from the moment it starts until it hits land every hour with a three-dimensional scan of the storm. There is nothing that gets even close to that today, right? And so this is just two examples of how we, we help with climate change around climate adaptation. And I think the, the key here is doing it at a global scale and doing it in a way that's sustainable and can really impact billions of people very quickly, not in a decade or 15 years out. I shouldn't really say this, but Tomorrow.io is probably my favorite portfolio company <laughs> or amongst those. So really appreciate you you being here, telling your story about how it started out as a software business, how it became a space business, and the um, impact you're having on the world as a whole. That's quite exciting. Look, I mean, I think Tomorrow is a great example of an enterprise SaaS analytics business that has seen transformative data from space or has seen how transformative data from space can be to the offering for the customers and interestingly for us, but also for you from a value perspective. And your focus is weather, right? But there are many, many other verticals, including insurance, logistics, natural resources, real estate, agriculture, to name a few, where space data can make a massive difference, possibly any industry really on this planet. 
So we here believe that enterprise SaaS analytics businesses will be a big beneficiary of this new opportunity, like Tomorrow.io is. Not all of them will need to or want to launch their own satellites, but uh, we certainly do hope that many of them will do. Yeah, amen to that. <laughs> so part of our investment thesis has always been the opportunity for M&A between software businesses and hardware-led companies. It's a question of who requires who. So do the successful satellite constellations acquire the software companies that are already servicing their target markets? Or is it the software companies that have got these existing customer relationships that require this data capability from space in go and acquire these new and emerging uh, satellite constellations, giving them unique access to the data, keeping it out of the hands of their competitors? So we've got a front row seat to watch how this is going to evolve over the course of the next few years. We really believe we're going to see some giant gorillas that are being born that are creating data sets that are really going to help them dominate big markets like insurance. So we're really excited to be talking today about a hybrid business, Tomorrow.io, that's looking to straddle both hardware and software, but approaching it from a software-first perspective. So I, I don't know if you guys have watched the Netflix series called Narcos on the drug trafficking in Latin America, right? But it starts in Colombia and then it moves to Mexico. And if you follow it to this day, the Mexican ruled in the market. Now, production is not done in Mexico, right? Production is done in Colombia. The weather in Mexico doesn't allow you to grow uh, <laughs> those kind of plants. Uh, the Mexican rule because they have access to the market, to the end users. And so my belief is that software companies who understand the use case and understand the market and control the access to the end users will have an advantage over people who have data that they don't really know how to get downstream. And I think we've seen that already kind of happening where only companies that know how to get the data all the way to the end users really become big companies. Yeah. And I think on the other side of that, you'll have the space companies that are telling you just how hard it is to build and operate a satellite constellation and all of the challenges that are involved with that. And that actually the software, the analytics, and the relationships with the customers is the easier bit that they can acquire as they require. So it's going to be interesting to see how this market plays out. Both are hard, don't get me wrong. And the reason we decided to do both is because we we realized that we, we went and spoke with all the space companies before we decided to do our own space thing. And we asked everybody the same question, like, can you build what, we're, what we need? And most of them didn't even know what we're talking about, right? At some point we realized, yes, there's a lot of people building satellites, but none of them has what it takes to build the kind of sensors that we need. And everything that exists, everything that's already out there, we don't build from scratch. We're not building a network of you know, uh, terminals for, for downlink. That's a waste of, of time and capital. We're not building the buses ourselves because there is other players who have hundreds of buses already on orbit, right? The stuff that we focus on is really what nobody else can do or couldn't when we looked for it. And that is really our, our edge um, because that is really the hard stuff. Absolutely. Give us an understanding of where your business is today in terms of how many customers are you serving and how do you see that scaling once you've got your satellites um, up and running operationally? 
I'll uh, refrain from giving concrete numbers because enjoying the benefit of still being a private company. <laughs> but I will say, uh, share a couple of data points. So A, the business is growing two to three X year over year for the last four years in a row, including in the very tough market of last year and this year. And so we're growing rapidly. Again, that's before having a single satellite on orbit, which is a, just a demonstration of the fact that we're, we have a valuable SaaS offering as it is right now. What will happen when our constellation will be operational? I think two things will happen. One, we will have, uh, and we're already starting to have a new class of customers who really want data from space, like national modeling centers and science like NASA and others. And they're willing to pay a lot for it if it's valuable data. Just to give put things in perspective, we're able to collect the same measurement that the NASA Global Precipitation Measurement Mission which is a, a billion plus dollar spacecraft, we're able to collect the same measurements for about 1% the cost. And so that is worth a lot to NASA because they already spent a billion dollars on it, right? And and it it is one, if not the most valuable Earth science asset that they have on orbit in terms of number of users and, and science group and you know research institutions using this data. So that's that's a whole new class of customers but the more important thing is that we're going to see much faster growth in our existing business because right now it takes us a while, say, to convince an airline or some other business to stop working with their vendor that served them for 40 years and move to us. We win those deals, but it takes a little time. When you're the only one with a radar layer all over the globe, that, that's a much easier conversation, right? And then expanding into many geographies and domains where we spend just little attention today because of focus. But once you have that, then, you know, there are a lot of markets that barely are served today in, in Latin America, in, in Brazil, in, in, you know, Southeast Asia, Africa. If you compare the size of the private weather market here in the U.S. or in, in the U.K. or Europe, relative to the size of the economy, and then you do the same math in all these other regions I mentioned, it is almost non-existent in those places because the infrastructure isn't there, right? If you don't have roads, you can't really have Uber. That's that's going to change as well. So, Ray, just to pick up on the point that you made about the uh, data uh, being uh, 100x cheaper, this is one of the, the key drivers of the space opportunity. It's now uh, 100 times cheaper to send a kilo into space, thanks to SpaceX. But it's also 100 times cheaper to build an operational satellite. So it's interesting to hear that um, your focus on weather is being driven also by this 100x decrease in cost. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once you, once you do that, it's not just about kind of improving the margins, right? It's about enabling completely new applications because if you have a billion dollar spacecraft you're only going to build one of these right you're not going to build a fleet or constellation of billion dollar spacecraft we don't have those on orbit that that's way too expensive but if you move from billion to single digit millions then you can print a lot of them right and the ROI is tremendous and the potential applications that you open up just to give you a sense the national ground weather radar system here in the U.S. is about a $3.5 billion investment from taxpayers' money in the U.S. It only covers continental U.S. So try to scale that to a global scale. You're talking, you know, trillion dollar or so, right? 
So I think it's one of the best examples I can think of of where space really comes in and and becomes a complete game changer. Some uh, fascinating insights there, Ray. This is a trend we want to see. Customer-centric software businesses with deep customer engagement looking to leverage unique data sets from space to add value to differentiate their offering. What advice would you give to founders listening to the podcast who are looking to diversify and scale their businesses? I'd say, number one, fall in love with the problem, not with the solution, because the solution is going to change a lot <laughs> over time. Even after you, you figure it out, you need to go to space. The solution you're going to build from space is going to change a lot. And you don't, don't get married to any you know, design or architecture or technology. They doesn't matter. Solve the problem. Number two, I'll say uh, be ready for <laughs> a really bumpy ride. This, this putting hardware in orbit is not easy. The technology is hard, raising capital, dealing with changes, every minor Glitch can cause a three or a six month delay in launch, which has tremendous impact on the business and so forth. So you got to have the stomach for that. I think it's worth it, but that's something you really have to be committed to. It's not a short ride and it's not an easy ride. And from the investor perspective? Yeah, so what um, Tomorrow.io have achieved to date is something that is still aspirational for many space companies. They've really found the way to actually provide a SaaS platform where their users can get value from that data and those data insights reliably and easily. They, they've been able to scale that quickly so that so their customers can operationally use that data. That's a really challenging thing to do. And it's one of the things that space companies who are coming at this from a space perspective and a hardware perspective are finding really challenging. It's It really is the real focus of being a customer-centric business. And thinking about it from what the customer needs and how the customer can use that information within their their internal data flows to be able to really take value from that data set. So that's one of the things that we believe that space companies really need to focus on and that tomorrow.io have, have really cracked already. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you to all three of you for joining me. Before we go, I'd like to ask a little quick true or false. Number one, 95% of all of our weather data comes from space. True or false? Well, I probably have to say false now, <laughs> based on the conversation we've just had. It's a little complex, but you can you can say it actually is true. Data that feeds oh. our <laughs> global models, the numerical weather models that give us the you know, seven-day forecast, are predominantly fed by uh, data from space. Ray is correct. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andre. <laughs> Should have known this. So, number two, during the Cold War, 70 countries collaborated, including Russia, the US, and the UK, in order to strengthen accurate weather data from space. Is this true or false? Yes, yeah, so and that is actually true. So, uh, weather was the reason for international diplomacy in the 1960s. An alliance of 70 countries laid the foundation for what became the world's first weather satellite constellation. So those included Russia, US, China, Japan, and Europe. And all of this activity happened around this really sensitive data collection at the height of the Cold War. So that's amazing diplomacy, something we could learn upon today. Yep, you're correct. Number three... Weather forecasting is actually getting less accurate due to constantly changing weather. This is false. So we're getting better at about a day per decade, meaning our 
five days forecast today is as accurate as our four days forecast was a decade ago. That's been the trend so far. Our hope is to accelerate it. Brilliant. Yes, you're correct. Yeah. Apparently a seven day forecast can actually predict the weather about 80% of the time and a five day forecast can accurately predict the weather 90% of the time. So well done. So thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. Um, it's been a really fascinating conversation. So, Ray, we're excited to see Tomorrow.io develop its space-based capability. We truly believe that new capabilities of weather from space are going to build a multi-billion dollar market opportunity for your business. We are Seraphim.